Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. I'm Matt Barocco and I'm joined as ever by Steve Carroll. Evening, Steve. Evening. Well then, well then. Last week, we thought we'd seen it all. We had Stuart James on here discussing the fallout of the transfer window, the complete lack of the sign-ins, the deadline day fiasco, and what that meant to the club. Little did we know, less than 24 hours after wrapping that up, things were about to take a huge turn. We've got another jam-packed show for you with more drama than a Christmas Eve in the Queen Vic, I think. To go through everything as best we can, we managed to snare a man who I'm hoping will help me understand what on earth is going on in the corridors of SA1. Former Trust Chairman Andy Gordon is back again. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, no worries, not sure I can make much sense of it either, but um, yeah, I'll give it a go. <laughs> well, if you can't, mate, we've got no hope. <laughs> so let's rewind the clock to the beginning of the drama in 2008. No, sorry, actually, it was six days ago. After the media fallout of the transfer window shambles and with Russell Martin's eagerly anticipated press conference looming, suddenly the Trust announced that they'd secured a rare interview with two of the major players in the boardroom, Jason Levian and Jake Silverstein. Andy, if you would, please talk us through what we learned or rather what they would like us to think that we learned from that interview. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting it either. I don't think anyone was. Um, remember seeing on Twitter Ian Mitchell um, tweet of the Joker, wasn't it, saying, well, there goes my evening. And um, yeah, it was, it was actually my partner's birthday that day and we were away. So <laughs> it was, was the last thing I was expecting or wanting, really. But um, no, it, it was no, it, it was it's quite a thing, wasn't it? I mean, um, I mean, fair play to the trust, I, I guess. I mean, securing an interview with um, uh, Levian and Silverstein uh, and getting them to speak on the record is probably more than we've managed to do but before, before since about 2017, I suppose, uh, when there was that fans forum. But um, no, I mean, that, that was that was quite something um but yeah i mean i i, I guess the the idea was to sort of get a bit of good pr for, for the ownership and, and the trust um, um in parallel um to talk about you know try to explain why things happened the way they did i th- i think they probably thought it was a good idea beforehand i think they probably thought it was a good idea after it you know uh, being up the, up front and honest but if you, if you listen to the detail, it probably uh, gave more questions than answers, didn't it? In terms of um, what they did and what what they tried to do and how kind of the process worked. Yeah, and you um, brought up um, some very good points on Twitter afterwards, which has been shared all around Swans. Yeah, I'd be surprised if anyone who listens to this podcast hasn't already read it. But if you haven't, do check out Andy's uh, Twitter feed. Um, it's there. Uh, it's in length, Andy, because there's a lot of it, which you uh, like to take a, a little bit of a stance it, against. Really. <laughs> yeah, so it was... Um, yeah, I mean, I probably have to read it myself to remember what I wrote in some of it. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there, was, there was bits there about um, sort of talking about, oh, we've, we've put 16 million in, done this and that, etc. I mean, the 16 million pounds is interesting because so, it, it isn't new generally. So, I mean... For those those probably remember last year when the sort of the, the trust um, signed a deal with with the owners, um, there was um, t- ten million ten million worth of shares were issued as part of that deal. A couple of months later, uh, was five million of that was the Silverstein family. Five million of it was Levin and Kaplan. Um, so I think that sixteen million really related to that plus some other money we knew about. So this isn't money they've just put in. This was this was Silverstein buying into the club. Kevin, uh, Levian and Kaplan matching him 
and and a bit of, and the rest of it is loans to the club. Um, but I th- yeah, I mean, so so that that was kind of a bit of spin, I thought. But I think that the fascinating thing for me was Jason was Jason Levian talking about. Um, you know, well, basically, you know, or oh, we we sign off on the players. You know, it's um, oh, you know, I, tr- I we try to do this, we try to do that, and you know, it's it's the buck stops with me, etc. Which you know, it's 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 fascinating, isn't it? That so, so somebody you know, not not here, um, not in the same time zone, not necessarily a football man in terms of not 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 in the running of the club, not sort of involved in the recruitment. It's basically the one where everything it everything falls out. Falls, uh, falls up, falls upon. Now it's, uh, that was actually interesting when it comes to what Jake Silverstein said over the weekend, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Uh, where it's, it's actually not just Jason Levian, it turns out. It's also Steve Kaplan. It's also Jake Silverstein. It's probably a couple of others as well. But you know, so it's not the guys on the on the ground making the decisions. They give them their input. But it's it's basically going over to the ownership, and they are effectively deciding whether we're signing somebody, in essence. Which 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 is just you know. That's just I, I I mean they're owners you know they own the club it is their it is it is their playpen I suppose but you know I find that a bit odd. There we go. So we'll, we'll we'll jump forward a little bit just briefly to to to, to elaborate on that point, Steve. Um, just to um, Russell Martin's press conference the following morning, which was packed of drama itself. But on that point specifically, um, Russell Martin mentioned that you know uh, him. Josh Marsh, Julian Winter, the guys on the ground, they work so hard on uh, naming uh, contact. He mentioned, I think he name-checked Jake Silverstein as well in terms of um, people he worked with, people he had good relationship with, identifying targets. But then he, 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 he most pointedly didn't mention Jason Levian. He just kind of shrugged his shoulders as once it goes over there, he doesn't know really what is happening, um, which I think what he didn't say there was more telling than most of the stuff that he did, if you make if you make sense of what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, by naming everybody else and saying that how hard they had worked and, and that the blame couldn't be, you know, laid at their door, he pretty much told us, didn't he, where the blame was. Um, and I think the blame is where we all originally thought it was, Jason Levian. The same man who thought Dan James to Leeds on loan was a great deal. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that deal alone is enough of a reason why the man should be nowhere near anything like that, because he doesn't have a clue. So he needs to butt out. It's as simple as that. Um, And I can't be the only person that thinks that. I'm assuming pretty much everybody at the club does, because essentially they've all wasted their time for the entire month, haven't they? They've looked at targets and everything like that. And... You know, this guy has stuck his nose in and ensured we didn't get anybody. So, you know, it's obvious they're all very frustrated for Martin to bring his entire staff into a press conference and a show of unity. I mean, you know, you look at then the, the comments and the programme and talk of frustration. I mean, every, everybody's feeling it. And now very much feels like this is a divided club in terms of everyone in Swansea is on the same page. But those who are not based here quite clearly aren't. And that's a problem. I mean, from my point of view, I think the chairman should be in charge of the, the finances. I mean, you, I'm, I'm not sure if Trevor Birch was when he was here, but I get the impression he may have had more power. I mean, Andy might have a, an idea on that one, but you know, we didn't see this type of thing under Trevor Birch, did we? We saw better deals. We didn't see things go into the wire or anything like that. There seemed to be a plan, whereas I'm not sure this time, well, maybe there was a plan, but it clearly wasn't executed very well, was it? So... Look, um, I think it's it's pretty obvious that Levian is to blame. So, 
yeah, moving forward, something has to change. But I get the feeling that it won't. Yeah, I, I, yeah, um, I don't think it's new. Uh, I mean, if I remember Ian Mitchell writing pretty much the same article this time last year, um, where, where there was frustration locally uh, about the ownership. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've met Trevor Birch, I met Julian Winter. Um, I, I, I know when Trevor left, there were certain frustrations there um, with the ownership. Uh, I mean, he probably did a bit more power, but that's only because he took it. Um, and that was probably a sense of frustration in itself from the ownership. I think when they brought Julian Winter in, they pro- they pro- that was probably a correction back to where they wanted to be. Um, think back to Hugh Jenkins, even um, when Bob Bob Bradley was appointed. You can, nobody can convince me that was a Hugh Jenkins appointment. Um, but but also, uh, so I think uh, um, Hugh did did another podcast in a couple of months ago, and he mentioned when he was leaving. Um, Basically, one of the reasons he said he was he, he left was because the decisions were being made above his head. Yeah. So, so I don't I don't think that any of this is new. But I mean, I I, I mean, I don't want to. I'm going to be the last person to stick up for Jason Levian. But um, I don't think it's just him. I don't I, I don't think. I mean, when when people when sort of when think about oh Levian's making the decisions, it it's a group of people. It's it's a hedge fund. It's certain people within that who are making the decisions. So, and I think part of the problem here is things are taking time because it's not just him making a decision. It's Steve Kaplan, it's Jake Silverstein. It may, it may might even be some other people. Because if you think back to the other directors of the club, there's Bobby Hernreich, there's Romy Chowdhury, um, who are both part of the hedge fund, uh, both both overseas as well. Now, is it just does Jason Levy and can just can, can he just make the decisions himself? Or is the other people? Do other people have to be involved in it? Now we've had Jake Silverstein saying himself, "It's him, it's Kaplan, it's Levian." So it's not just Le- it's not just Levian who's making these decisions. That's that, that's a problem. That's a problem in itself because the more people who've introduced introducing any process, uh, especially people who own multiple businesses, are in different parts of the U.S. as three different time zones, um, no. then it, it introduces all sorts of complexity into things. You know, Andy, um, on that point, and Jason made a point of saying so in his uh, in that trust interview. Um, was it about you know learning lessons and you know we're sorry and stuff like that? Yeah. Fourteen transfer windows under this ownership. This isn't something new. We've pretty much not had a great January transfer window since they've come in, if memory serves. Um, the amount of deadline days. James did post that 35, 36 day deals or something like that under the ownership. It smacks of poor planning. It smacks of last minute decision making. Um, And it insults the fan base, at the very least insults the fan base, to suggest that they're sorry and they're going to learn lessons. Because as far as I'm concerned, they've proven time and again that no lessons are being learned. I, I, I think I think they look at the transfers from a purely financial perspective and trying to get the best deals they can there. Um, so even if they t- even even if that, even if that takes from January first to January thirty first, I think they, they'll ju- if they save five dollars by doing that, that's what they'll do. If, uh, if you remember Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, I think uh, th- that whole pursuit from Everton in 20, 2018, whatever it was, or twenty seventeen. Mm. Um, at the start of the window, they were offering offering 30, 30 million or whatever it was, and then it took about six to eight weeks before I think the the forty five million pound uh, deal was done, uh, which uh, obviously you know gained a lot of money by doing that. So on one one hand, great deal. On the other hand, basically it held up all our planning for that window. I think we didn't we end up replacing him with Sam Cookus because that's that's the best we could get. 
uh, in that window. So, you know, that you, you lose your 15 million right there. <laughs> so um, it's, you know, I, I think I think that they are very they are very focused on the financial aspect of it. And from that perspective, you know, from the deal perspective, they, 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 might, they might be quite good at it. But from a football perspective, in terms of in a timing perspective, they, they they haven't proven to be very good at that. And and in many cases, they haven't been proven very good at actually making deals themselves uh, at all, really. I mean, this window has been a case in point. I mean, the Oberfemi one's interesting because that's become a loan rather than a, a sale. Now, I, I know it's been commented that the money's virtually guaranteed, but... That 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 it's gone from an absolute certainty to a oh it is certain don't worry about it to well God knows what we find out in the summer, yeah, and we don't really know how much it was for now, so it's uh, yeah yeah they're not not always that great at making deals either are they so no and and Stephen yeah, touched that oh, on Nanny sorry but I was going to say like the issue with the other family deal as well is like yeah we we needed him to go didn't we because he's a yeah. pain in the backside. Um, but we've only really saved on wages, I presume, at this stage, haven't we? I doubt there's much of a fee until it becomes, you know, a permanent transfer in the summer. So that probably wasn't great either, was it? It depends how they structured it, really. I mean, they, they could have, I mean, if, if the deal is, for, for example, three million overall, they could have structured it with 1.5 as a loan fee, 1.5 as a as a, as a purchase. It, it, it really depends, but... Um, yeah, it could be for Burnley for FFP. It could be, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many potential yeah. reasons. But that's what I mean. Football's know. funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, Burnley go up and then obviously at the moment they probably don't have a great deal of money, do they? Because they, yeah. there was some sort of loan got called in, wasn't it? If they got relegated. So don't yeah. spent huge amounts. Obviously, quite a few players left, didn't they? And they're yeah. probably, well, if we go up, then obviously we get the, the war chest and then we can pay the money at that stage. That, that's certainly how I, how I read it. Obviously, we. We could be wrong. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, we're speculating, but certainly that's how I'm reading it, which isn't an ideal deal, really, is it? But the problem is when you shout your mouth off so much in the press, basically saying that this guy is a bad egg, it's going to put people <laughs> off. It's going to, the price comes down, and then you sort yeah. of have to take what you can get, don't you? You and do, think- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You have to, one, one team wanted him. Um, the player wanted to go to one team. We, we weren't in a strong position, and we were pretty vocal. Uh, that we wanted to get rid of him. We've been pretty vocal. We wanted to get rid of Patterson. <laughs> so, you know, we yeah. got rid of one. Well, now we've got one unhappy player uh, on this. Well, we've got a couple of unhappy ones, haven't we? But, um, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I think we, we've made some, as a club, we've made some very vocal uh, comments. So uh, mm-hmm. obvious moves to try and move players on over the last, well, in the summer we did, we have in this window. It's, it's not always worked. So, yeah, that's not great. I think what really smacked for me, Andy, as well, and you mentioned about having those 30 days to do those deals, um, was we had that piece in the in the program, and this is for, for, for guys who listened to last week's podcast, was mentioned in there, how um, on Christmas Eve, Julian Winter spoke about how we had deals, and Russell Martin, in fact, about how we had deals pretty much started putting them deals together from September the 1st, from when the summer window closed. Um, and these discussions are not privy to the conversations I had of course but I'm not naive enough to think that these discussions didn't go to the top and that players weren't too, uh, touted and mentioned and even clubs were probably approached between September and Christmas time to get a figure of if we could afford the player. Could a player be interested in joining us? Are these sorts of deals viable on January the 1st when that window opens? Now we understand in football terms that a lot of these discussions happen a long time before the media even grab hold of the fact that it's a potential goer. You know, these are discussions done behind closed doors. Um, with all that said, nothing happened at the start of the window. We thought, Ooh, okay, 
I was kind of thinking from that interview that we were going to, as soon as that window opened, we go bang, bang, bang. These are the guys, these are the ones we want to get in. Of course, um, Russell Martin also said we weren't looking to sell in order to buy, which kind of, if true, rubbishes the thing about having to wait for the over money as well before we could seal those deals. Um, but that is, of course, if that's true. And if he was led to believe that's true. Um so it really muddies the water when it comes to us managing to get these deals done, doesn't it? It it it, it really does, and I think that this is probably what was different under Trevor Birch, for example. Uh, if you think back to that window, uh, Dan James, Ollie McBurney, they went very early in that window. Now, in terms of one of those deals, I knew I I knew it was in the pipeline a couple of months before because uh, you know um, that that had been fed back to us. So um, yeah. Um, you do need somebody there sort of doing that early, getting those deals lined up, and so that that can be done earlier. Now, um, I, I don't doubt what Julian Winter and Russell Martin are saying, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm sure they were having conversations with clubs. I'm sure they were having... I mean, it was very interesting. Russell Martin was talking about speaking to players. I I, I didn't realise that, that. I thought that was something that was frowned upon, but he was very open about having spoken to potential players. Um, so I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that did happen. There were conversations about things, but as you say, there's absolutely no good reason why you couldn't do a deal in October, November, and then January the first, you basically just sign the piece of paper. Then, you know, we we're we're able to do pre-contract deals now for for the summer, but we haven't done those either. So, yeah, I mean, as you say, it it isn't just that one month. It is three or four months, and there was there was there was a lot of time to get things done. If 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 they wanted to get things done, and if they could get things done, as you say, because I mean, I, I, mean, I think it's pretty common knowledge our financial position isn't great anymore. We're not we're not in receipt of parachute payments, so our income is you know one of the lowest in the league these days. Um, mm. So you know may, maybe the flexibility isn't there to do the deals, and there's a lot. Maybe they're trying to reject a, a position of strength. Where, where it doesn't exist. That's obviously something that I think we all consider as a potential good chess move um, to, to other clubs to let us know that, no, you're not going to hold us to ransom stuff. I completely uh, could, yeah. see, could see that. It does feel like the, the way in which they spoke about the window before it opened and the fallout of the window um, kind of leads me down the path of were, they, were the goalposts shifted? Were players... Um, agreed with and agreed right to the top as far as Winter, Marsh and Martin concerned. And then when it came to, you just need to sign that piece of paper, Jason, and his uh, entourage, um, it it, it wasn't happening. It was taking too long. Again, Russell Martin introduced a whole new level of grey to the matter in that press conference. And I think, Steve, on that, I mean, look, the, the trust interview the night before, they, it's fair to say that was there was a mixed response to that, and not just about the owners, but also the trust's role, Steve, in facilitating um, that interview. Because Andy mentioned a little earlier on about credit to the trust and doing something that his guys couldn't achieve when he was chairman. But I think maybe doing himself a little bit of a disservice because this wasn't for the trust to answer the to ask the hard questions purely for the basis and the knowledge of the Swansea fan base. This was an opportunity for the owners to have their bellies tickled as well and try and get their point across. It was certainly a, an opportunity for the owners to make that. It was in their interest as well to do this interview, if that makes sense, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, from a trust point of view, obviously, they've done the deal that I would say 
most of us don't agree with. I uh, don't want to go back too much over that, but you know, the fact is now there's, there's no real probably tension so much between the club and the trust, is it? Certainly not like there has been in the past. So maybe these, as a result of that, then they are maybe more willing to engage, which wouldn't be a great shock. But obviously, like you say, I mean, they're getting to do it on their terms, aren't they? Someone from the trust is asking questions. I actually thought the questions were on the whole pretty good. I mean, you, I don't think you, you can ever watch an interview or anything like that and think it's 100% perfect. I think they're, you know, it's very rare. So I actually thought um, it was it was reasonably good in that sense. But I mean, sometimes you probably do need maybe one or two follow up questions and stuff, don't you, or to go in harder. But the problem is, if you do that, maybe you're thinking, well, they won't engage in the future. So it's it's a difficult one, really, isn't it? Um, but they again, the 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 thing for me is they would have known that Russell Martin was doing a press conference on Friday. Now, obviously, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I'm pretty sure that he's told them how pissed off that he is. And they probably thought, we can get in there first. That's the cynical mm. side of it for me. So that's what they did. Uh, they spouted stuff. I Some of it, I think, is crap. And in others, were, was just stuff in general, the opinions that I didn't agree with. And then they, they made it harder then for the for the management to really criticise them. But... Um, they did anyway. We well, criticised they did, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and I guess um, on the point of the trust, uh, Andy, and, I, and I'm going to throw you a hospital pass here, mate, because um, I asked any, uh, Twitter if uh, if they had any questions for you uh, as you were on the show tonight. Charlie and uh, Charlie Collier and Tim Cox have both got in touch with similar questions, given your um, your history, uh, best place man to answer it, I guess. Um and they're both along the terms of the purpose of the trust and what they can do these days now that they've done the deal that they did, as Steve alluded to short, uh, a little while ago. Um, and that, uh, to elaborate on Tim's point, it now seems to be a trustless organisation to which the club slash owners will just pay lip service. Over to you, mate. Yeah, cheers. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, we used to have a sort of a sort of a tagline uh, of what we were trying to achieve um, as part of any negotiations or, you know, what is the trust there to do? And it was really about being involved, not just being informed. So, you know, not just telling us afterwards what you're doing. We want to be there influencing the decision making. Now, the trust was always going to be a minority shareholder. Get that. We never, you know, we're never going to get our way in loads of things. But we have to we have to have a sense that we can actually influence something. We can actually cause some some change, have some power to be able to do stuff. So, you know, when we were, you know, the whole dispute between 2016 and when it was resolved last year, I say resolved, it was well, finalised, wasn't it? Last year, um, you know, that that was always a thing. You know, we we want, you know, hopefully we could have done a deal, but we obviously couldn't. That fell down. Then when I went to court and it was going to go to court and then, you know, we always said, you know, the only, any settlement has to involve some level of uh, where the trust can, can, can basically curb their excesses, uh, can can influence and can have some positive effect on the club. Now, is, is, is the trust able to do that after the deal? Uh, well, it, it still has a, a shareholding, five percent of which will be there in perpetuity, or a there will be a. a actually, that's not quite true. Um, they will have a they will have a certain number of shares that will be there in perpetuity, and they will always have a director. 
So they will always have access to the books. They will always have access to board meetings, in essence, in principle. So that 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 has value. That access has has value. So um, that 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 is a good thing, and a lot of clubs would love to have that. Um, what we don't have, I, I don't think the trust actually has. I, I don't. I don't think we've had for some time. In fairness, is is influence and, and the ability to influence, and and we've seen that this week. You know, the trust came out in 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 the program notes. You know, saying you know, they're disappointed with this and that, um, which is very much in line with what other people are saying, which which shows you know they haven't been involved up until now. They might have been informed. Uh, they might have felt they were kept up to date with things, although that's not really being communicated to to us, the fans. But you know, they they may, they may feel that, and that, that's fine. But they haven't been able to influence how how we work, and there's no real sign that's going to change. You know, we've got the ownership saying ever since, you know, well, you know, we're not going to change the way we we, we approach things. We 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 are the ones who have put money into into the club. We we're the ones that physically have skin in the game, which is like a big saying of theirs. Um, so no, I, I don't think the trust has influence from that perspective. Not on anything that matters from a governance perspective. I'm sure when um, it's a, a bit bit nice and fluffy, they do. You know, in terms of you know, finding you know some of the match day stuff. Yeah, and just just quickly on that point, and and I'll leave you run with it then. Um, what good is seeing the books and being a director if you're all tied up in NDAs? You can't even release that information <laughs> back to your own membership. So any point and purpose of having that referee in the room, he's just silently sitting there, powerless to say or do anything. Yet held be held or taken to court over all sorts of legalities. It is yeah. kind of. A torture. Anything you it's, can't do anything about it. It's self-defeating in that in that circumstance. Absolutely, that the the trust could not could not sign an NDA that relates to how the club is running. If it's if it's done that, and I don't know it has, and it hasn't said it has, then that 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 totally defeats the purpose of the trust. Because if something's going wrong, and you can't tell the fans, then what's the point of you? But I should stress, there's no there's no proof the trust have signed an NDA. Uh, that it won't. But I think it probably has signed its own internal <laughs> NDA that says we, we're not going to. We, it's it's going to it's going to take a lot for us to say anything that's massively critical um, of of the ownership because you know they they've made a massive thing about their excellent relationship uh, with with the ownership, um, but and you know if if they then come out and say. Um, then it isn't so great after all. Then not only has it kind of defeated itself, but also uh, the likes of Silverstein and Kappel and Levian are going to stop talking to them. <laughs> so, um, I, and I think this is this is the thing. It's pro- probably the reason I never managed to come to a deal with Jake Silverstein or the trust didn't under my tenure. Uh, is that you know that that's not something I could ever have tolerated. Really, I mean, there's no there's no point to the trust if if it can't if if it can't. You know, to say to say to his members and the fans, well, this is what's happening. At least to, to a degree, you got, got to be aware of, of confidentialities, of course. But you know, you you have to be able to call things out as you see them, uh, and you have to. The trust has to have the ability to do something. Now, if one of those is taken away with a deal and the other one is self-imposed, then you know, what is it for? Um, which I think I guess a lot of former members are asking themselves because membership is. Half now, the lowest has ever been before. You know, it's um, I think it's about 650 at the moment, and it's never been less than a thousand previously. So I think that that tells you probably what the, what the what a lot of former members think. 
Yeah, I guess in terms of the future of the trust, Andy, I mean, there's, as you say, there's been very little and, and the and the issue being that they can come out and say today, you know, oh, this and that was happening in the January transfer window and stir up huge swathes of support in the Swansea City fan base. But that's then done then. That's then being kept out of all the loop on everything. Any relationship is gone, um, and 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 that's then terminally just pointless. So the whole point of the own other of the members, former and current, saying we need to hear more. What is the point in you? Well, they'll be completely pointless if they do. And here is the the absolute uh, the crux of the situation which they find themselves in. I think I think there's a middle ground. I, I'd hope so anyway. Um, if if um, I, th- I think, as, as you say, that the, the, the I think for for a lot of people, I think the current board staying where they are is probably going to be an issue for them. You know, I think a, a lot of bridges have been burned. But I mean, the trust board is is is, is elected every year, so and and it's quite transient. It, it can be, you know. So there's no reason why six people couldn't stand next summer, uh, get elected. Uh, and then you've you basically basically half a new board. So, you know, things like that can change. Um, and I think as as fans, we, we we it's always in our interest to have a supporters group that can represent your views, that people can rally behind. So I think that there there is there, there an organisation like the trust is very much needed. Um, and at the end of the day, this is an organisation that does have a shareholding, does have a director, does have about £850,000 in the bank. So anyone setting up a new organisation, for example, um, is going to struggle to set up one that is better uh, better set up and funded than the one that already exists. So I, I, think, I think it can have value. I think it's causing a lot of its own problems at the moment by the way it, it has acted. Uh, and, and continues to act. Really, it, it needs to be more vocal. It needs to be more public. It doesn't need to be necessarily more critical. It just needs to be out there saying things, not come on Twitter, do a couple of tweets, and then run away from a couple of months because somebody says some bad things to them. Now, well, like I say, I was on the trust board for seven years, and people said all manner of stuff to me, you know, about me. <laughs> some, some of it fair, some of it not. But um, you know, um, you, you, you got it. I mean, I've got 2017. I remember the 2016, 2017. There was a lot of stick flying around. None of it was particularly nice, uh, but you, you've got to front it up at the end of the day. Um, and that hasn't really happened, and, and it hasn't really been happening. But it needs to. Somebody, somebody, and it and really should be the leadership. And I, I don't want to name names and things like that and single people out. But you know, it has to be. It has to be the leadership of the trust that fronts things out. And it's interesting that you know it was Adam Lewis. I mean, uh, Adam's on the on the trust board with me for a year, he, but he's not elected. Um, he's a lovely guy. I always I always got on very well with him. Whether he think whether he thinks that that's that, that I couldn't say. But um, you know, he, he's 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 not a, he's not an elected board member. He's a co-opted member. He's not the chair. He's not the vice chair. He's not the support direct, director. Uh, he's not the associate director. You know, but why wasn't one of those asking the questions? Um, as you say, why why weren't there any real follow-ups? Now, was that because Adam just wanted to let them speak, um, or was it because you know they weren't uh, weren't allowed to ask any follow-up questions, uh, or none of the questions were uh, uh, prepared in advance? I, I don't know that. Um, in all fairness, I think uh, I'm with Stephen. I think Adam did a good job, and I think he he, he gave them enough rope and they, and they used it really, didn't they, with some of the things they said? But uh, yeah. Um, 
I think for the trust to have value, it's got to be credible. Um, and to be credible, it's got to be speaking to people, and it's got to say, um, it's got to say what's happening with the club. It's got to, it's got to be a, a, a you know, a fair, uh, a critical friend, really. You know, call things out when they're great, call things out when they're not great, and uh, not don't be afraid to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I, can I ask you a question here, Andy? I mean, yeah. obviously, uh, what's the process of standing for the board? Because you never know, there could be people listening to this that think I wouldn't mind giving it a go, and obviously. You know, it might, be, it might be a good thing if they know exactly what to do because, you know, the organisation probably always needs a degree of fresh blood when there's elections come up. And um, yeah. like I say, if there's a chance for someone in the summer to to potentially um, to stand, then, you know, maybe they can get themselves elected. Absolutely. Um, so uh, there, there, are, there are two ways you can become a board member. Uh, you can either be elected or you can be co-opted. Um, now, I'm not sure co-option at the current time is possible because I think they've got four co-opted positions already this year, and I think you, you are limited to four. Uh, so we'll, we'll just talk about the elected ones. So the elected, uh, the elections are every um, June or July. Um, to, to be able to stand for election, you've got you've got to be a member and you've got to be nominated by six other people who are also members of the trust. So. Uh, it's as simple as that, really. Um, you basically just fill in a form. You get six other people who are members to sign it, and then you write 250 words uh, about why um, you, you you think you will be a good a board member. And then, if there's an election, uh, those words, along with every other candidate, are sent, are sent to the members. And then there's there's the ballot. Um, I mean, more often than not, historically, there's only been enough people standing for election uh, for open positions, or not even that sometimes. So sometimes you just you just automatically um, 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 elected onto the board. But yeah, it's as simple as that, really. Well, there you go. If anyone is listening and fancies it, that's what you've got to do. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Andy, for that. Um, I, I won't throw any more of those at you, Andy. That was your, uh, that was your good. 10 minutes grilling. Because um, we have got so much to cram in. I'm already dreading how long this is going to be. Um, because we have to get back to the matters at hand. And this was just the morning after that um, that trust interview, Steve, where um, we didn't know what to expect from Russell Martin. Of course, the media picked up on it on um, Thursday night. Come Friday morning, 9 o'clock, Russell Martin rocks up to that interview with uh, with the press conference with his entire coaching staff it was <laughs> unheard of it was a real united front it was a statement to the guys above him in the boardroom and it was something that we were all shocked to read about and then he went on to a few key parts of the interview that happened the night before um, either directly or indirectly in uh, in how he addressed um, the transfer deadline or transfer dealings I should say Yes, um, like I say, he did go into a lot of detail, didn't we? I mean, we, we touched on it briefly earlier, but I mean, it was quite a staggering press conference, really, wasn't it? I mean, you you never really know what's going to happen. Martin doesn't really hide his emotions very well, does he? And um, yeah, he he was quite outspoken, really. I mean, in terms of who he was supporting, and we he didn't really support. So um, yeah, um, I, I know I was certainly waiting for for what was going to happen on Friday morning because. You could sort of sense that it was going to be interesting. We hadn't heard from Martin, obviously, since the QPR game. So, you know, the picture was quite different at that point. And obviously, with the window being shut, then it was everything was quite final. So, yeah, it was it was very interesting, wasn't it? I mean, to to hear him speak, you know, quite candidly about things, and obviously reveal stuff like 
is the fact that he has a good relationship with Silverstein. He speaks to him a lot, and then he speaks to Steve Kaplan a reasonable amount, but he doesn't deal with with Jason as he called him. Um, I guess that's probably telling in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it depends what he's speaking to them about, though, doesn't it? Um, I remember somebody telling me, I guess it just came back to me then. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, Steve Kaplan is is uh, always speaks to the managers just about football stuff, not necessarily about signings and things like that, just about you know football and tactics or whatever. Um, so you may just be speaking to him about that sort of stuff, <laughs> not really about signings or things. So it's um, I don't know really. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it was very striking, wasn't it? That um, no, Jason Levian shrugs his shoulders, etc. So yeah, he obviously sees him as part of the problem, or you know, they obviously don't have a particularly good relationship, or for whatever reason. But there's a direct contradiction in there, Andy. Um, one from I can pick off memory was um, Jason Levian saying on a Thursday night about um, <laughs> we went to Russell and we said, "Name us your number one striker. We'll go out and get him." And he said he was going to become the highest player, paid player at the club. We know that man was West Brom striker Carl and Grant. Russell Martin, uh, 12 hours later, comes out and says, "We weren't talking about Carl and Grant for four or five weeks." You know, this was someone that Josh uh, Marsh. Uh, head of scouting or recruitment or whatever his title is at the club now um, was one that um, brought to the table later on to try and get something over the line for us so this was very much a contradiction from what we heard from Levian the evening before uh, yeah well he, he talks doesn't he <laughs> so um, it's yeah I mean it, it was it was the obvious that our, our main sign our if it doesn't really fit the model at the end of the day of what of what we're obviously trying to do. I mean, it's, it's, it seems pretty clear what, what, what they're trying to do is, you know, um, sign players uh, permanently for particular value, watch that grow, and then sell them to fill the basically the ongoing financial hole uh, from basically the, the, the annual deficit between income and uh, expenses. So they, no, nobody was ever going to be able to convince anyone that Carl and Grant on loan was ever going to be the number one plan that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever um so yeah no well I, whether he just got carried away always trying to justify himself or whatever i mean that was never right was it so and you know uh, alone um announced on the, on the last minute was always going to be a bit of a panic move and that's exactly what it was and to yeah i mean that was another thing about the about um you know, there's been a lot of talk about you know Ryan Madding and Joel Atabodier being uh, their contracts being extended, and you know negotiating about money, and then to come out and say, oh yeah, we're going to make um, some loan chap uh, our highest uh, paid player. Um, <laughs> you know, a bit naive, I thought, and that's the myth. Very certainly, definitely misguided. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I actually think we we dodged a bit of a bullet with. Oh, it, ditto. Yeah. I think it would have cost probably about half a million. Now, if that takes you to promotion, great. But if it doesn't, it's dead money. It's like renting a house, isn't it? I mean, you, yeah. you, do, you know, if you, I, I know a lot of people do rent houses, but you don't want to do that in an ideal world, do you? But you, you do it because you have to. I mean, we that wasn't a good deal for us, I don't think. And I think we need to learn that expensive loans aren't the way to go. Um, so I did think we dodged the bullet because that was, wouldn't have been enough to get us in the playoffs. We'd have needed a goalkeeper. We'll come on to that, I'm sure, when we discuss Birmingham. And we've needed a right wing back all season. So you yeah, would have had yeah. to have done those three players, I think, to have given us a realistic chance. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's boring talking about finances as a, as a fan. You know, you, you just want you just want the best players. You want you want all the players, don't you? Uh, and you want, um, you know, 
um, our best, our, the best players we can get on the pitch. Of course we do, but unfortunately, uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't quite work like that like that anymore. Our, our our finances are pretty tight. So if if we are spending one million pound or whatever it would have been on loan deal, you know, with wage between wages and uh, and signing on fee etc. Loan fees, then you know that that means we're not we're not spending that next summer on on somebody permanently and somebody who we, we could then potentially you know have for a couple of years and sell and sell for 10 million at the end of it you know that that's obviously the model they're trying to do like they do with Flynn Downs so um yeah I mean if, if we did do that deal you know what money would we then have available next summer because you know there will be a deficit next summer as well that we're going to have to fill so no, I, I'm with you, Steve, on this. I think it, it, when when I saw that, so I think somebody tweeted me the day before. I bet we're going to get somebody on loan last minute in the panic move, and then lo and behold, that's what we tried to do. Um, but I think that would that I think I say we dodged a bullet with that. I think if, from from that perspective at least. Although you know we we are now down to one or two strikers, although we do have um, Morgan Whitaker back as well, who, you know, obviously Russell Martin has been quite vocal about not having had anything to do with that decision, <laughs> which is, you know, that's not ideal, but I, I guess that goes back to the ownership making decisions uh, above the manager's head. It's scary, isn't it? The whole fallout of it. Um, Steve, social media was buzzing. Russell Martin was actually trending on UK Twitter. He was, a, it was a, there was like a, a siege mentality being forged, um, a kind of us versus them between those in SE1 and those across the Atlantic. Um, and most, if not all, of what I saw after Russell Martin's press conference was um, fans rallying behind the players and the coaching staff with the hashtag support the team, not the regime, doing the rounds. It was, um, they did seem to be a little bit of a. Not in, in in that in adversity, in that sense of adversity, there seems to be like a, a rallying call and um, and people getting on board. Well, yeah, I mean, as as I said earlier, I mean, people I think are fed up of this regime. I mean, you know, it's it's been poor from the start when they took the club. We were in mid table in the Prem, we're now mid table championship, and our trajectory is probably still going down. I would say, and we feel that they're harming it. So I just think that. You know, people are not interested really in what the Americans have got to say. They may listen to it, but people don't believe in it. This is the problem. So inevitably then, if a manager calls it out, then, you know, we're going to be on his side. It's it's quite simple really, isn't it? So as I said earlier, it does feel like everyone here is on one page and everyone in a different continent is on a different one. So, yeah, it, there probably was a bit of a, a siege mentality formed. And I mean, as you, you said, the, the programme notes from the chairman, the captain and the manager were all very, very similar, weren't they? So that that sort of feeds into that narrative. It was unprecedented. I, I can't remember that ever happening. Not even not just, just at our club. I can't remember it happening anywhere. Not like that. It probably has, but um, certainly not here. It's just What's the programme yeah. notes you're talking about, is Abs- there? Absolutely. Well, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, um, I think that there has been some mention that it's not unusual for owners to have final say in signings, which is probably true. But um, for for the chief chief executive, for the um, for for the manager, for for the captain, you know, for Matt Grimes to say it, um, that's just unusual. <laughs> so it's yeah, I, I can't think of that ever happening before. And it was it was just not a totally united front. The trust trust notes as well said the same thing. So it's um, uh, so yeah, it was it was yeah, shocking really. Yeah. And the on that, I mean. Talking about the social media side of it, then um, 
it wasn't limited just to Twitter, as we seem to be unraveling <laughs> as a club day on day at the moment. I just dread to think where this ends because what started off looking like a really good fake on Reddit turns out we do actually think on this podcast now that it is Jake Silverstein. There's a, a lot of evidence there now suggesting it is Jake Silverstein on there arguing and debating the rights and wrongs and the concept behind running the football club with fans of all ages of Swansea City. It is mental. I, I, uh, it's, it's inexplicable, and I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it is him. Um, there's a post there about the trust where he mentions individual names, uh, which I know he has spoken to. Um, so I'm 99.9% certain it is him. And uh, yeah, uh, and I think there is one post as you mentioned, you mentioned his name years ago. So it's yeah, it, it looks it looks pretty true. But yeah, so no. In all fairness, yeah, start start with the positives. Um, good on him for going going online, trying to, um, you know, talk to the fans, engage. He tried to explain his thought processes, uh, or their their thought processes. You know, giving information about how things work, um, both in terms of the processes within the club, but also his sort of relationship with the other owners. You know, I think there was was some hope that there was some separation. Between him and Levian, for example, uh, that doesn't look to be the case. Uh, he's they're very much on the same page. Uh, but yeah, it's I, th- I think I think it's I think it's it's something that started with the best of intentions, but um, I think it's rather unravelled a little bit. Uh, I think some some of the some people on there have been thinking he's been quite um, you know curt about things and you know um, not quite understanding why somebody might not be uh, entirely happy with them uh, or him just because you think just because if he's if he's speaking out you know that should be a good thing they shouldn't say anything critical about it um it's now it's, it's quite a thing and some some of the content of what he's been saying has been you know i, mean, I think it's, it's been good as been said but it's not great what's being said, if you know what I mean. Uh, you know, talking about, you know, that the decisions are being, you know, in terms of signings are being made by him, Levy and Kaplan. How, uh, how basically the, the, the people on the ground just feed information to, to, to them. Uh, they're not the ones making the decisions locally. It's, it's decisions all made with, with him. And more importantly, that that's not going to change. And that's how it should work. That's his belief. And that 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 that's a bit depressing because when something's demonstrably not working, hasn't been working before before he got you, hasn't been working since he got he's got you, then you know I think there's enough body of evidence there to say well you know things need to change from that perspective. It's, it's, I mean, I'm not even calling for a change of ownership. I'm calling for a change of the way things are run, really, at the end of the day, because uh, this it isn't working how it is, how it is. And, you know, it's not just me saying that's not just us saying it. It's, you know, it's it's, it's Julian Winter. It's, um, you know, it's uh, Russell Martin. It's uh, Matt Grimes. So and, it's, and their view is much more important than, than any of ours. Yeah. Do you know, uh, Steve, I'll ask you on this as well, because from what we talked about the owners before, the lack of communication, lack of engagement, everything they've ever done has been so orchestrated, cleverly manipulated and stuff like that in order. And we get little bit of snippets. Of course, you always hear it from them more when things are going well. It just hasn't happened that often under their stewardship, directly because of their actions and indirectly as well for other factors. This seems like a massive step out the line for Silverstein to do something. Off. It's like me drunk tweeting at three o'clock in the morning. You know, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like he's 
playing the part. He's just talking out of... Well, you saw the Trust interview. You saw that he got quite animated at one point. He got quite visibly kind of upset with some of the things that have been levelled at him and the and the other owners. Um, and this smacked of a continuation of that, Steve, whereby he just thought, I'm enough's enough. I'm, you know, I'm on my fourth glass of wine now and I need to tell people what's going on. I'm really upset about it all. It just seems really unprofessional to be kind. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's it's pretty shocking, really, isn't it? Nobody's ex- was expecting that from him. Um, you know, it, I think it does show that he, he genuinely does care. I wouldn't uh, dispute that. I've always thought that there is a, a bit more to him than than the other two and whoever else is in the hedge fund. But I mean, it it does seem like he's gone a bit over emotional on it. That's that's the problem. It's it's not a great look. He'd be far better if um, well, Matt. I think you should message him on Reddit and explain that uh, we'd like to have him on this podcast and we, we will ask t- tough questions but at the same time it'll be a bit more structured than you know arguments on uh, on reddit so yeah i think you know he's he's obviously feeling the pain isn't he and he's he's taking flack for aligning himself with somebody that i would say most people don't like me included and you know that's the problem he, i don't i think he he needs to sort of understand where people are coming from rather than than anything else. I mean, people are frustrated because this regime has been in for a long time, made a lot of mistakes. We don't see them learning from it. And what we saw was Jake Silverstein aligning himself with Jason Levy, who people don't like. So because of that, he's getting associated with it and getting criticised. He probably doesn't understand that's the problem. So I think he needs to sort of be be told, I suppose, that that's what the, the major issue is, certainly from my point of view. But, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, the problem is, I think what he believes is a problem as well. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, that's probably true. I thought that if the fans bore me did. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I mean, um, I I do think he's he's a you know as as well as you can ever tell with anything. I think I think he says what he means. I think he he is he's being straight from that perspective. I do. I think I think he genuinely feels that you know Jason and Steve are his mates, and you know. He thinks they're great people, and you know what? Maybe they are. I, I don't know, um, but you, you can only you can only judge things on you know on, judge people on their actions, which goes for for all, all three really, I suppose. And you know, I think if if you take Jake Silverstein's words at face value, you know, I, I just fundamentally disagree with what he's saying, and uh, I think things will need to change in terms of how the club is run. Not, not, I mean, it's going to be fan pressure, but there's also going to be an issue, you know, um, within the club in terms of, you know, staff retention, recruitment retention, manager retention, things like that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think in terms of what Jake Silverstein needs to learn is, I think he has to understand, no matter, even though he believes something, um, I think maybe he needs to take a step back, look at the wider picture, um, see the dissatisfaction amongst the fan base. To see the dissatisfaction about amongst the um, sort of the staff here, and um, make some changes accordingly, even if it's not quite what he agrees with. Now, will he do that? I don't think he will. Um, will he be allowed to do that? I, I don't think he will either, because I think he's his views are shared by Capital and Evians. I think their views are shared by him. And like I mentioned, there's, there's I think there's, there's there's a few others in that ownership group that also have a say in these things. You know, the two other directors of the club, for example. So, yeah, sadly, um, 
I don't think things will change. I don't think he, he will want them to change. And I think even if he does, they won't anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. And loath as I am to direct the conversation away from all these off-field matters, there was a football <laughs> match. Thankfully, it was a boring nil-nil. Oh, no, it wasn't, was it? Um, Steve, we just... Oh, my goodness. If ever, if ever there was a week where he just needed a straightforward win... Just to win, just to solidify that support with the fans, keep that togetherness, and no drama, not of our own doing, not that we've seen over the last eighteen months. Please, just, please, just have a straightforward result. It was this weekend. Um, and let's just take it chronologically. I think that's all we can do. And um, we probably should have been two 0 up early doors. There was a couple of one on ones we missed, wasn't there? Uh, Perot and Cullen both missed one on ones, um, and then. Uh, once again, masters of her own downfall. Ben Cabango with a shocking header back. Andy Fisher maybe half a yard too slow getting off his line, but not the main culprit here. Um, and then the uh, the Birmingham striker rides the challenge, goes down, he gets a penalty. And uh, Hogan slots it away, 1-0 down. Yeah. Um, well, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> Good grief. I mean, we should have been 2-0 up, shouldn't we, by this point? We had a couple of great chances from Perot and Cullen, and I'm thinking, this is encouraging. We're playing well. If we carry on creating chances like this, great. We'll, uh, you know, we shouldn't have a problem today. But then, of course, this club can't defend. I mean, the opposition don't seem to need many chances to score. So you know, it's, it's a poor header by Cabango. It puts us in trouble. I don't actually think Fisher's really... To blame, he, he has to go for it, and if anything, the stri- strikers probably made a bit of a meal of it, really. But yeah, inevitably, a penalty has been given, and um, you know, Fisher wasn't far off saving it, really. I mean, he, maybe he could have, I don't know, but yeah, chasing again as usual, having gifted a horrendous goal. Unfortunately, uh, that has happened far too many times this season, hasn't it? But chase we did, Andy, and the performance was still at a high level, even though we inexplicably giving the opposition uh, a lead again, like we seem to do all the bloody time um, and through no making of their own. That's what's crucial. I don't think I can count on one hand that we have had a goal against us this season where I've gone fair play to them. It's always been us involved in their build-up. Um, but we did fight and we did strive and we were better than them, considerably better than them in that first half. Um, and we levelled through Joel Pirro. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that that first 45 was as good, if not better, than anything else we've had this season. I think I think we I think we were excellent. Yeah, one one Benkabango mistake aside, you know, we, we could have been two up before it. You know, we scored too uh, too quickly after that. We could have had a couple more. It was it was, it was an inc- incredibly good performance. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Pro's goal was great. I think I think the the Cullen goal for me was better though. It was such a lovely incisive ball. Was it Jay Fulton who played it through? Uh, it was a lovely lovely through ball. Lovely, lovely cross, lovely goal. It's just, just gorgeous. Um, so that that first half was brilliant. Um, yeah, and then the second half started, and um, I think Birmingham made a couple of tweaks, didn't they? They brought on Hannibal, was it, uh, in the midfield? Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I think things changed pretty quickly from that point. Birmingham were a different team. We we were a different team, and then. Then they scored, and they from a one-on-one from the halfway line, which I don't think I've seen <laughs> in, in a long, long time. <laughs> so. Two, two, one up, two, one up, and you get caught on a one-on-one from the halfway line, as Andy said. It's <laughs> words fail me at this point. 
yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Um, but yeah, and the thing as well, and we were gifted our own goal as well after that. Um, but at, at no time did I feel comfortable um, after the after half time, really. I think it just looked a bit inevitable that we were going to concede one or two. And um, when we made sort of a final substitution, taking off Peru for Darwin, um, which A is always asking for a bit of trouble, and B is particularly asking for trouble when you bring on a defender who can't defend, then yeah, it's it 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 was just asking for trouble, and then um, or especially when I think it was was his 15 minutes plus we, what we knew was going to be long injury time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that's um, it's it's a ballsy sub if if you're being kind and or it's reckless if you're not. It's you, I don't know. I'm not a fan of not leaving yourself any options. You um, likened it, Steve, to um, Paul Clement taking off Lorente um, in the Premier League. We got away with it that time. Um, we left ourselves with no strikers on the pitch in that game. Of course, we did have Whitaker on, but it just seemed incredibly negative. Um, yes, we had a lead to defend, but there were three, and, and I mentioned a little bit ago, but not having fucked it up for ourselves, and he makes three substitutions separately, which is fine, because that happens, but they did them all within 13 minutes. So you can't tell me that two of those couldn't be bundled together and they could have saved themselves a what-if scenario then because he could have still brought those three players on and he could have replaced Latibodier. As it was, we had to play a whole 10, 12 minutes as with 10 men. Um, it's, it's a Russell Martin problem, this one. And um, Lord as we are this week to point the finger at him with everything that's gone on, but there's no escaping that was a massive fuck-up. Yeah, I, I don't get it at all. I mean, let's be honest, Perot has been quite poor this season. I think a lot of people haven't been um, as impressed with him, but he actually played really well the other day, arguably the best he's played. And now when he's played really poorly, he never gets subbed. Yet on Saturday, he gets subbed. It makes zero sense from the start. That's before I even begin to go on to the fact that he brought on a centre-half for them. I'm not sure there was any one of the apparent 17,000 in that ground would have even contemplated that. It was an unbelievable decision. Ridiculous. It got what it deserved. It was his fault, unfortunately, which is the last thing I wanted to say. But it was. It was a stupid thing to do. I don't know why he did it. Um, like We can't defend Leeds at the best of times. The best form of, of defence is attack from our point of view. Go and get a fourth. Do not take him off. And yeah, the, obviously, like you say, then Lata Baudier picks up that injury, right down to 10. It sort of felt inevitable then that we wouldn't win, but I didn't think we would lose. But obviously then, when they've equalised and there's seven minutes added time, I'm thinking, we're in big trouble here. I mean, there was a point where Fisher got the ball and there were people like almost saying, come on, get on with it. And I'm thinking, please don't. Who on earth on this pitch is going to score for us? Nobody. And we're a man down. Just be happy with a point. It's not a good result because we should have won comfortably, but we have to be happy with a point. But then, of course, they get that corner. I had the sinking feeling and um, obviously they've scored from it and somehow we, we've lost the game. But unfortunately, this football club on the pitch this season, or I could be off it as well, is its own worst enemy. You can't make that sub, darling, for um, for Perot. It's It's just ridiculous. I mean... Like I say, the, the decision against Stoke in the Prem, that's the one you're talking about, isn't it? Where yeah. Van Horn come on for Lorente with half an hour to go. We're one nil up in a must-win game. And remember, they got a penalty and missed it. And I'm thinking, if this penalty goes in, we're not going to win. 
and the crowd are going to go bonkers and we're probably going to get relegated. Paul Clement was so unbelievably lucky, it's unbelievable really, that then the Arnautovic skied the penalty because I tell you, if he didn't, he was getting it and he would have deserved it. And Martin does deserve the blame. I don't know what he was thinking of. It was a dull decision and he's paid the ultimate price. It was as sick as I felt at the Liberty, and there's a lot of contenders for that, Andy, um, with the way things <laughs> have gone. And that's with last minute. Honestly, I, I, want, I don't even want to see what a league table would look like if the game's finished on 85, because um, the amount of times, you know, we call ourselves sometimes, we've had some great results with comebacks and stuff like that, but us and defending... It's just shambolic. It did have that sense of inevitability when that ref, when the ref somehow contrived to overturn his own decision um, with what looked like no help from the linesman. Um, so yeah, he's given a corner after he'd initially given a goal kick, um, and then I think everyone in the stadium knew what was going to follow on the script. Absolutely, and what's a free header from four yards out from a corner in injury time? That's just shocking, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think he panicked, didn't he? He saw Jukovic coming on, thinking, "Oh, we need we need, a, we need somebody there to protect against that." And, but as you say, you know, you've you've got to leave yourself a threat up front. You know, keep keep them honest. You know, because I think we are more likely to score a goal than stop conceding one, and which which is a bit odd, really, because you know we we got a couple of good defenders. We've we, 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 in terms of possession stats, you know, we're, we're at the top of the league. So, you know, keep the ball for a couple of minutes. Don't give them a chance. But we just panic. We get, get into a shell. I, get, I guess we're just not that good at keeping the ball when the opposition really wants to get the ball. Uh, they, we're great when they when they just, just pass in the run, sort of around the midfield or whatever like that in terms of keeping possession, but less so when it's it's really pressed upon us. So I think that that was that's a problem I think. But as you say, it's been consistent, hasn't it? You know, all through all through the season. You know, there's been a lot of talk about about us running the legs off opposition teams uh, by passing them to death and you know wearing them out in the last 20 minutes. Well, we seem to wear ourselves out a little bit as well at the same time. And um, yeah, I mean, I think if 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 some butts, isn't it? But um, yeah, we, it's it's mad. We're on two wins from 15 games, is it? Somebody was saying, mm. um, and we're still only six points away, whatever six points or whatever from the playoffs. I mean, just imagine we got four wins out of 15, which isn't great form either. <laughs> We'd be in the playoffs now. Um, so yeah, it's 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 it does feel like a missed opportunity. But I guess there's probably about 15 teams in the division who are probably thinking about the same, aren't they? Because you know, we think we're 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 probably. Um, you know, we're not far away from the relegation zone either in that, in that perspective from a uh, league position perspective. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, <laughs> inevitable and disappointing, but not the first time, won't be the last, no doubt. Anyone else, Steve, with a story <laughs> that happened this week, anyone else, you'd say this is um, this is all geared up for a Swans home win. There's that siege mentality we talked about. There's the togetherness. We all saw Joe Piro run over and embrace Russell Martin after scoring his first I thought, yeah, there's a feel-good factor. The fans were good. They kind of supported the team as they suggested they would before the game. And you felt the players are going to play for this. They've all talked about it in the pre-match, about how they're going to stick together. And we talked about the programme notes. How do we contrive? How do we contrive to lose to a team who's struggling so badly? Um, And it was all within our grasp. And every little bit, every decision we made for the past 20 minutes of that match was the wrong one. Yeah, that's that, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, you, I said I've, I've been very critical, haven't I, about the decisions that were made? But I have to be because, as I said, I really don't think anybody else would have made that decision in the ground. It was, 
it, it just made no sense. I mean, we, we've got to be better than that. I mean, it's, you know, we're not asking for the world. You know, I, look, this squad isn't good enough to make the playoffs. I mean, let's be realistic about it. There's no year enough depth there. And obviously, we're we're another player like now that Lata Bodier is out. Not that I think he's a huge loss in terms of ability, but he is in terms of a number because we are so short, aren't we? And obviously, Joe Allen is is out as well. And hopefully, he won't be uh, out for too long. But just look at that bench. And I mean, it just looks weak, doesn't it? There just aren't the options there. But, you know, we, we've got to do better. I and mean, we, we can't be as easy to score against. That That's the main thing. I mean, we it's it's killing us. It's You don't have to be a little bit better defensively to to be, you know, in, in the playoffs. <clears throat> because the league is so crap. But the, the problem is, I'm looking at Fisher and the guy can't claim a cross and he can't save a shot. He's got... We're gonna. He's gonna cost us so many points for the rest of the season. I'm almost thinking. Do we have to look at the free transfer list? Kieran Westwood, I think, is one. Have we got to just do something because, uh, like, his confidence will be on the floor as well now. I mean, he's just. He's not an imposing figure, or anything, is he, Fisher? You look at him, and I just think he's got to bulk up in the gym or something. He's got to become more imposing. I'm, I'm not sure he's ever going to be brilliant at claiming crosses or anything, but he just. He doesn't even look like a, you know, an imposing figure at all, which often you need from a goalkeeper. I mean, Bender is, I would say. For example, and I mean, look at that second goal. I had no faith whatsoever that he would make a save. Bender might have saved it. I'm not saying he would have, but he might have. I certainly would have believed he might have saved it. And that can make the difference sometimes. I mean, it's not going to do the centre-halves any faith having him in goal. So, yeah. His positioning um, for that second goal, Steve, just to, just to mention, was terrible. He guys run from the halfway line. His position, he's got to approach him a bit. He's got to get to the edge of his 18-yard box, even if he's just half a yard inside. He's practically on his six-yard line. You know, he's, so, he's so indecisive in whether to come and go, and he's just got to close that angle, make himself bigger, approach the ball a bit, so that if he has a shot, he's bigger in front of him. He's a bigger frame. He made himself as small as possible. It was just, as you say, you, you had no faith when he was running through that Fisher was going to trouble him at all, and he didn't make the striker panic he didn't make the striker think he didn't make him doubt himself he let him all the time in the world to pick his spot and that's what he did and those are the sorts of things you think at least two of those goals I think don't go in if Bender's in goals and he's not even had a great six weeks or so but I still feel that way I, yeah I, I mean I, yeah. Can't see go on Andy no I I, I, I mean I, yeah I don't know um, I think I think it, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, to be honest with you. I think, you know, there's two, what, what, at least two of those goals he should be doing a bit better with, I think. But I'm not sure it's the second one. I, I'm not sure about that. Because, I mean, it was, it was a one-on-one. He was their best player having it. It was a one-on-one from 50 yards out. I mean, what the hell were the defence doing? What was the midfield doing? Where were they? I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fisher well, may be as shocked as anyone. Yeah, no, I wasn't <laughs> so, to come on to that, to be fair. It shouldn't yeah. be that age. You know, Manning yeah. was massively out of position. He didn't yeah. have a great game, I don't think, on the weekend. I mean, but the problem is, there's just a lack of pace in the team in general, isn't it? Yeah, so once he gets in, I'm yeah. thinking no one's catching him either. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but, um, no, I think that yeah, no, there was um, yeah, no, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of Fisher either. I mean, as you say, he's, uh, he needs to work on. He's, he's, he, I guess, what they call a line keeper, isn't it? He, he won't come out for crosses, and as a shot stopper, he's a bit league one for my liking. But um, mm. no, he's he's all we've got now. So <laughs> for this season, so um, I think because we can't, we can't make an emergency signing either because he's because we paid money for him and he's he's, he's played five professional games. I think that's the rule. So uh, yes, yeah, either him or for, for free agents, isn't it? Or Lewis Webb, who was doing all right up in Aber, up in Aberystwyth, but um, you know he's he's not played a professional game yet. 
So I know it's a big ask, isn't it, to ask a, yeah. a kid to go in. I think the likely scenario, at least I think the, those in the corridors of power would be thinking, is there anyone on the free transfer that could kind of lessen the load? Because not just Fisher, by the way, you know, OK, you know, he got a lot of criticism after the game on Saturday um, on social media. But how did the rest of the team pick themselves up after that, Steve? Um, it's just got to, you know, go again, really, um, today, haven't we? I mean, so it was it was a traumatic week for everybody. It's ended in, a, you know, probably the worst way it could have possibly ended. I think everybody needed Sunday, really, as a day off. I'm not sure what happened, but, you know, just just take some time, chill out a little bit, spend it with family, friends, whatever, do something else, forget about the club, and then come back today, Monday, to new week, you know, it should be a lot less dramatic and let, let's see what happens. I think that's that's the way. I mean, you look at Martin's comments, I'm sure he'll come on to it in the press conference. I mean, yeah, just sounded about, like yeah. a, quite a, a broken man, really, didn't he? And it's, it's been a tough week for everybody. That's that's the problem. So we, I think they did just need a break. I mean, even like I'm not even directly involved. And I was thinking to myself yesterday, I think I put a tweet out saying, I don't want to hear about this football club today. I don't want to hear another single word because I'm just drained by what has been a ridiculous week. So... It was a quiet day yesterday. I needed it. I could not have recorded this podcast yesterday, I don't think. But I'm okay again today, and hopefully everyone at the club is in the same way. I think, and uh, Andy, when we go to the pub after the game, and Steve will attest to this, we're all pub managers, aren't we? What we should and shouldn't yeah. do and stuff like that. Um, this was the first time after the game I walked out, and I didn't come into the pub screaming, what the hell is this? What the hell was that? I went into the pub, and I said to all, all the boys, I don't want to talk about it. Let's just not talk about it. <laughs> How what how are the family? What's going on in your life? Because I just really cannot be talking about that <laughs> anymore. Um, yeah. And Russell Martin post match was striking for me because he's as Steve mentioned earlier on, he doesn't hide his emotions very well, and we've seen passionate um, outbursts post match from before. But I've never seen him pause for what felt like thirty seconds. It was probably more like six, um, looking like he was holding back tears you know he looked broken as Steve mentioned he looked like he was a man whether he was doubting everything whether he was questioning his future that would be speculated upon but there was a lot there going on in that man's head which he wouldn't uh, burnt out of his mouth yeah, no, I think I think we, we we sometimes forget about the people, don't we? In all this, you know, we think, um, you know, when when we saw flinging a boost at the linesman or, or the players or whatever like that, he deserves it. a pass there, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah, we, we yeah, there's there's a human aspect to this, isn't it? And yeah, if you look at it from his perspective, you know, he's up, moved his family to, uh, across across the UK. Um, pretty much the other end from one side to the other. Um, you know, he's um, obviously quite an emotional chap. Um, he um, he's he obviously has quite strong views on how things should be done. Uh, he, he obviously feels promises have been broken. Um, so yeah, he's, it was yeah couple of that with um, yeah him feeling maybe he's not being helped uh, in what he's doing, and then for that to manifest itself in a in a performance where we obviously didn't didn't have the depth into the later minutes of the game, coupled as you say with some really rank bad decisions on his part. Um I mean you, you don't you, if you're gonna bring on a defender for for a striker, do that in injury time, not twenty minutes from it from the end. Um so yeah, if, if if ever he needed a win, if ever we needed a win, I think it was that game. And so yeah, it's for to lose in that manner. Um 
as he he said himself, you know, this this that one's on me. I think that was that was uh, the thing, wasn't it? And um, yeah, I, I think um, he probably just needs a break to stay, um, take away from a couple of days. So he'd have a couple of drinks or something like that, and just yeah. Well, he's teetotal, so oh, he won't well. be doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> the thing. He couldn't pack into um, a you know, a good few cans or anything, or Jaeger yeah. bombs, but you probably wouldn't need it. You didn't need something to something, but yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. The but thing is, I, I would suggest it absent after the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Drink to forget, God. Um, no, don't advocate that at all. Um, Steve, there was a point in there where he was asked about the impact of his pre-match comments and how that would affect the owners. He openly said once again he's going to have annoyed a few people, asked about whether he's talked to them, and he batted that away out of hand, and he said, I don't want to talk about it. We're going to see what, it, what happens. It kind of left that chapter quite open to... What's going to happen next? Yeah, um, I don't think much is going to happen next. I mean, I don't think Martin's going to walk. He would, you know, he'd be waving goodbye to a lot of money. Um, is he necessarily going to get a better job at the moment? I'm not convinced that he is on the face of it. Um, from the owner's point of view, are they going to sack him and cost themselves a fortune by paying him up and his staff? No, I don't think so. Um, so I think things will just sort of settle down and sure in the summer there'll be some discussions because obviously they'll have a year left on the deal at that point so you know and, and maybe then they will decide to make a, a clean break I don't know but I, I think things will settle down um, but you know I, I could be wrong um, you know it never seems to be dull at the Swans does it so um, <laughs> you know never rule anything out but I don't think anything's going to happen What do you think Andy? Yeah no I, I think Steve's on the money there to be honest with you um, I don't think they'll sack him it would be a significant wedge uh, for the whole package, and that has a knock-on effect with everything else. So, uh, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think he's quite a loyal chap, the way he speaks, and so he knows if he quits, then other people are going to have to quit. We're going to be losing their jobs as well. So, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think he will. Not yet. Uh, I do think we're in so maybe the territory that maybe Steve Cooper was in or maybe Graham Potter was in, uh, where maybe he's not going to be here much longer. Um, You'll take the first offer, you think, the first decent offer on the table at this stage? I, I think in the summer. I, I, I suspect his agent is fishing around already. I don't mean, I don't know, obviously. Yeah. But, um, I suspect there are already conversations, which, I mean, I, I, was, I was thinking about this before. I mean, has a manager ever gone, when's the last time a manager of the Swans has gone into the third season with us? Uh, Cooper did two, uh, Lowdrup did two, Rogers did Jack two, it. Martin, <laughs> Jack, it was it, Jesus. Uh, so, um, um, nothing else it could be. Yeah, it got to be. Isn't it? It's got to be. Did, did over two seasons, but not like he didn't start yeah, cool. both seasons, did he? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that's that's yeah, so two and a half for him, wasn't it? So um, yeah, so it 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 tells a story that you know changing the manager you know regularly isn't necessarily a bad thing. We we did a lot of growth through that, but I think we we, we that's not going to help us at the moment. We need stability. Like it's just, I mean, we, in our best years, Andy, we were changing them because they were poached. And uh, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. the way, if they're going to go, that's the way you want them to go, don't you? Because it means you're doing something yeah. good. And I think that was something that Hugh Jenkins alluded to a few years ago um, when he was in charge. So it is, you know, it's the best way to be disappointed in, even if we look as recently as... Um, as Graham Potter and how much hurt that was when we thought there was he was building something really special. Um, but if you're going to lose them, you're going to lose them to a step up for them, then you know you're on the right track. But 
I, would either of you contemplate seeing any sort of mutual agreement between the club and Martin before the end of the season, or are you both in agreement that he's going to be here until the, the final ball is kicked? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Um, I think I don't. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so I think I think that I think that's possible. If Martin thinks he, he can get another job or has got one pretty much lined up, that 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 would make a lot of sense. I think because I I don't see this relationship. Can you can can you see Martin being our manager this time next year? He's yes, too outspoken for them. And you mentioned earlier on, Andy, about. Birch and how he handled the reins and how Winter maybe is more their type because maybe he plays ball a bit more, a little bit more of a yes man and something like that. Now, Martin is very much not of that ilk, is he? Yeah, I, I'm not sure Winter's a yes man, but he's, he's, he's different to Birch. You're absolutely right. Uh, I think uh, Trevor Birch is more sort of an old school club chairman. You know, he's um, he. I think he he would only take the role if he had a certain amount of power. I think he probably had that negotiated or said he was going to do that when, when he took over because he did take over quite quickly after Hugh Jenkins. Um, so I think he, he had his views on how things should be done, very strong views. And um, I think that was probably the ultimate source of the disagreements between him and the ownership. And, you know, um, he, he probably jumped before he was going to be pushed, really, I think. Um, mm. So I, I think Junior Winter's a slightly different type of leader. He's more, he's probably more comfortable uh, with with the the the, one, the required approach of the ownership, uh, he's possibly a bit more focused on the non-playing side than Trevor Birch ever was. Because uh, uh, Julian Winter started off on the community side uh, at, at Huddersfield Town, so it was a Sheffield United one or two. Uh, but that's where his background is. So he's done some great work uh, behind the scenes on setting. You know, the, the community trust has changed the Swans Foundation, and they've really expanded. They brought some new people in, uh, more people on, in on there. Uh, they they do some excellent work, but they've really expanded on that. Uh, so I think he he's great. He's 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 better than Trevor Birch's on that sort of stuff, uh, and probably more comfortable with working uh, in the way the ownership wants. But I think even that has its limits, as as we've seen this week. Yeah, so, you know, it was Julian Winter. That that was that was as terse and as short a statement uh, I think I've ever seen from anyone. I mean, he loves a long statement, doesn't he? You know, if you read yeah. some of his reviews, and that was just basically a couple of paragraphs saying disappointed, not happy. And um, I think that, that that the brevity of it said it all for me. Is it is it as simple as saying, Steve, that it's a matter of when, not if, now with Russell Martin and his future with the Swans? Yeah, I mean, it, it could well be, couldn't it? Um, I could, like Andy has said, really, I could see a situation like with Steve Cooper where, you know, it, it lips on to the end of the season. And then, you know, when you've got a year left, it's sometimes you think maybe you need to, to, to either, you know, sign an extension or they might look for a parting of the way. So, you know, I, I think, you know, he's understandably frustrated, Martin, as, as we all are, and may have just had enough by the end of it. And, you know, obviously his outspoken comments might not have gone down well surely haven't gone down well with the ownership either so look, we'll we'll wait and see won't we but um, you know I think I, I wouldn't be too devastated if Martin left purely because I, I, it does feel to a point that we, we're not learning and it's becoming frustrating but at the same time I mean does that mean we're going to appoint anyone who's better I, I don't know that's the that's the tricky thing with it isn't it but um, I think what, what, what we'd all like ideally is to see Martin backed in a reasonable way to have maybe been allowed to have brought in a couple of players in this window. And then he's got the tools at his disposal for us to, 
be able to judge him properly because it does feel like he hasn't been given that to a point. And then, so, you know, it's, it's difficult to 100% judge it. But I think if we brought a reasonable striker in, brought in Og Ben to play as a, a right wing back, and if, I suppose if Ben Duran got injured or if a goalkeeper had come in, then you'd probably have to say, right, it's now very difficult for us to say you don't have the tools at your disposal. So between now and the end of the season, we expect to see an improvement. But mm. obviously, he'd hang out to dry, isn't he? So, again, we're just limping on, aren't we, with what we've got, which isn't enough, really, is it? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's, I think promises not being kept is potentially a bigger issue for me. I think you know he's obviously been told, and all the people on the ground have been told, oh yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and and it hasn't happened. Now you know if you know if if they'd said you know oh well we're not signing anyone until we've sold somebody, and that, that's just the reality of it, then I suspect he would have been all right because he would he would know the situation, but that's obviously obviously it's not not what's happened here. Um, promises being made. They've, you know, they've obviously worked to get X number of deals in. Obviously, they, that I think, you know, they're probably down to, you know, Plan Z by the time Carl and Grant came on the table. Um, and you know, they, they've 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 worked the balls off. They've been told certain things that were going to happen, and, and it hasn't happened. And that that obviously has an impact, doesn't it? I think, and and I think that's the thing. It's not the first time it's happened, and these things live along the memory, don't they? And um, I think once trust is broken. It's really difficult to get that back once relationships are, you know, damaged in that way. My concern is um, is how that impacts us going forward recruiting these young ambitious managers. Football circle is a small one; everyone knows everyone, and people will talk. Um, and it will be the third manager in succession um, who will have left on not great terms with the ownership. Um, so we do have that question mark of how long that will continue. Well, how long will we continue to be that appealing a club um, with great infrastructure, which is here, but of course how much of a factor the ownership model is going to play a part. But, and I will just, just before we wrap this up, Andy, last week, on last week's pod, which was pretty dramatic one itself, I offered <laughs> Stuart the opportunity to offer glimmering a bit of a glimmer of light, an opportunity to give some optimism to the fans listening to this. Um, I'll offer the same opportunity to you to uh, try and maybe just boost my mood if no one else and make me think that things are just not as bad as I'm making them. Oh, you're asking me for optimism, all right, you? Uh, so, um, yeah, no, I, I think that there is a silver line into this window. Uh, is 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 our academy now? I think we, we've got um, we've got some talented players there. And sometimes, so all they need is a chance. I mean, you think of Ollie, Ollie Cooper this year, you know, he's probably been our best player. You know, probably him, Ryan Manning, probably been our best players. Uh, if you think back through history, Ben Davis, you know, he was absolutely nowhere. Um, he was he was only backup left back because Lodrup spent the budget elsewhere. <laughs> and, you know, it was just who we had left. And then Neil Taylor has a season-ending injury. And then he's thrust in, in, into the spotlight. Doesn't do particularly well for the first couple of games, but then becomes probably our best player. And then we we, we obviously we obviously sell him on. Um, so I think necessity is sometimes a really positive thing. And you know we we have we probably we probably have enough points on the table not to worry about relegation. You'd hope, unless you're really bad. Um, so you know I'd like to see us give a lot a lot more opportunities to the kids that are there. It's, you know, we, we shouldn't have been casting around on the loan market just just for fodder. I, I don't really see a lot of value in going going in the free market unless you know there's there's a really good deal that's you know that's out there. Um, but maybe we have to vote for a goalkeeper. But um, 
yeah, give the kids a chance, you know, um, see what happens. You know, we're not going up, we're not going down. Probably um, use the opportunity, and then you know, we'll be stronger for it in the long term. Uh, but both, both uh, as as a playing score, but also financially as well, because you know, the way they're running the club, we have to we have to develop our own uh, or develop players to avoid to avoid you know financial calamity, calamity really. So, yeah, no, the kids put the faith in the kids. That's what I <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I'm feeling a bit better. We just have to. We're in that re- We've just been relegated. Graham Potter's been announced as manager. We've got the academy exactly. playing for us again, and look how that turned out. That was fun. So maybe we'll just fall in love again. I'm going to be take that positivity away from all this, and uh, uh, yeah, maybe I'm being deluded here, but yeah, we'll we'll see how that pans out. <laughs> anyway, normally at this point in the podcast, Andy, I would say let's look ahead, but it's uh, it's Sheffield United away. I really don't think I've got the heart. To um to talk about that after the game we've just reviewed, so um we're just gonna leave it there this week and we'll talk about Sheffield United. <clears throat> Who knows? We'll go there and win three now. There we are. Indeed, I just want to say whatever you've had. <laughs> well, they, yeah. yeah, they haven't got any ex Swans players up front, have they? So, <laughs> oh, absolutely, that's correct. <laughs> Only all of them. <laughs> um, and I'm not teetotal, so I could have had anything. Uh, yeah, but that is about it from us. Andy, once again, a massive thank you, mate, for taking the time to join us this evening. No worries. Um, those with a good memory will remember that I signed off on last week's pod by wondering if Swansea City would ever be boring. <laughs> I didn't think so then, <laughs> and I definitely don't think so now. What will next week hold? I genuinely am scared to guess. From myself and Steve, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.